We've had a really uh, busy day here today and uh, one of my favourite guests who's come into the studio is Josh Jones. Josh, hello. This is the first time I've seen you for this year. Yeah, welcome to 2020. Thanks for having me. Uh, thank you. And um, Just Be Nice Project, how did it go over the Christmas? Oh, Christmas was an interesting time. It's a challenging time for people. I think we discussed that um, last year, but uh, we had a lot of attention taken away f- from that sort of thing uh, over the Christmas break courtesy of the uh, the bushfires which were which were immense and obviously took up a lot of bandwidth in the public in the public uh, understanding over that period of time so yeah it was a challenging time for us and yeah, I mean when you look at all the events that have happened in January mm-hmm. it's huge and of course the bushfires which um, I'd love to get your take on because when I was watching it and I was watching all the fundraising efforts and you know the blitz on TV uh, things like that it was like oh, hang on I wonder what Josh thinks of this <laughs> so now's your chance Josh Tell me about viral fundraising. What's your opinion on it? Uh, viral fundraising is one of the banes of my existence, to be honest. Um, are you allowed it, to say that? Yeah, you are. I think you are because it's um, – at the end of the day, my, my job is predominantly focusing on making sure people who need help get good outcomes, not making sure that just people who want to do something can quickly do something and feel good about it and tell everyone else what to do. So when you're at the business end of that, of that transaction um, – I can unequivocally say that viral fundraising is useless uh, largely uh, in terms of delivering really good outcomes for people and communities that need help. But surely it's made a difference with the millions that's been raised and the awareness. Yeah, I mean, there's a, there's a school of thought that's, that's you know, where we lean into is it done something and something is better than nothing. Um, but I think that we need to raise the standard much higher to, you know, did it do the best that it could do? Generally not. Um, I had someone in the middle of this, of the fundraising maelstrom sort of mentioned something to like that to me and said, well, do you think they all would have been okay if we hadn't done this fundraising? And I was like, well, yes, the fundraising hasn't even been released yet. So absolutely everyone would have been okay because for most of the time that these fires were going on, fundraising was being held in fundraising accounts and was ongoing. So it wasn't actually going anywhere in that time. And so afterwards now we get to see the reports coming out and I made a video predicting the future in this sort of space where all of a sudden people reflect on it and go, wait, not enough's going here and not enough's going there and I wanted some more money for the koalas in here and I wanted some more money for people in Gippsland and I wanted this. And, uh, you know, that will go for about a week in comparison to maybe the six weeks that we had uh, bushfire fundraising, then it'll all die down and the people who miss out are the people in the communities that need really long-term ongoing assistance. Okay, so let's take it back to this viral fundraising and of course the most predominant one with the bushfires would be Celeste Barber. Mm-hmm. So surely that was a good thing? No, well look, I think that the Celeste Barber fundraiser really highlights the all of the problems with viral fundraising and virality in general around an issue. Um, the the main thing for me is to try and I try and step away from all the things that I know in my day-to-day work and go, well, what can we reasonably expect people to understand in this space? And so she starts a fundraiser with good intention and I'm not here to knock the original intention of her fundraising, but you know, it was for the RFS, which is the Rural Fire Service in New South Wales, which is their volunteer, largely volunteer fire service. And she set out to raise uh, you know, thirty thousand dollars or whatever it was, and it and it took off. It never, it was never stated anywhere else that it was going to go to any other kind of place. And there was the fundraiser was for the RFS and all this kind of stuff. And in the middle of it, she starts saying, "Oh, maybe I'm going to split it up because people are telling me they want it to go to different places." And 
I sort of look at that and say, if you want to give money to the RFS, then by all means, throw some bucks into a fundraiser for the RFS. If you wanted to go to the Gippsland communities, well, either find somewhere that's raising money for Gippsland communities or send it to Gippsland or hold on to it and wait. If you wanted to go to koalas, you know, same thing. If you put money into an RFS fundraiser and then say, oi, spend it on something else, if Celeste changes her mind, that's disingenuous and and in most cases you would say that's fraudulent kind of behaviour to just do a little bait and switch, raise money for this and then say, oh, I've decided to do something else. If there is a general consensus that, oh, yeah, okay, it was a lot more than we thought so we should split it up, how on earth is this in the hands of a comedian who's famous for getting in her undies and taking photos that now, oh, she's the person to manage a $50 million budget to to best serve communities that are in need and how would you split that up um, afterwards? It's That whole thing is just so ridiculous. That whole 50 million bucks should go to the RFS because that's what it was raised for. If people didn't read the very clear statement at the beginning, then that's their problem. If they didn't read it and they're mad about it, I mean, I rest my case about how stupid viral fundraising is just because it's got a celebrity name on it, does not have anything to do with whether or not it's effective, it's going to anywhere in particular or it's accountable. So uh, that that process for me was disappointing in that it chewed up a lot of people's resources and goodwill, um, gave her a lot of airtime. People are saying, what a hero. But I mean, in the end, she just wrote a sentence on Facebook and let the massive sort of ongoing outpouring of support run it all the way through. And I just think it's just not that big of a deal. And it was a bit stupid and people have wasted their money. And, you know, if you wanted it to go somewhere else, you should have paid more attention and, and read the very simple stuff. We're not even talking about fine print, but just read what it was for at the beginning and, and understood that. Now, a lot of us don't know this area. Yep. You know, it, it, uh, when we're asked to donate, it helps us feel better and we want to help people. It's the great Australian way. We want to go out and we want to help. But you work in this space every day. So, you know, you've got a different look at it than what the average person does. So just go through then, how, how can we help then? Well, patience is a virtue in this space. Um, read the thing is obviously a good one. And don't, if, you, if you take the time to read the publicly available information, then a lot of times that will make clear that, you know, Holding, holding on to your pennies is maybe a good idea. If you want something to be accountable, look for somewhere that's a little bit more accountable. And at the time when I recorded that last video, I said there was a government fund set up in Victoria for the um, Gippsland bushfires. And that fund will be accountable because it's run by the government. So you've got at least some chance to vote, you know, about whether you're happy with how it was spent or not. The Red Cross is completely unaccountable. They're not accountable to anybody. They can just take that budget in, do whatever they want. And if you just read their webpage about what they're doing, you know, they're in crisis mode. They take care of people in crisis. But community rebuilding isn't really their mandate and it isn't their area of expertise. Do you think, though, that with the Red Cross, they've got that brand and that totally. name that people feel confident with? Yeah, there's heaps of really big brands. Um, but whether they do a good job or not, uh, is is up for debate and they will separate themselves out from the global Red Cross um, if I bring up examples of how terrible that those places have, have, have been in, in executing assistance and there's a, there's a wonderful article from the London School of Economics or whatever about trying to chase up about half a billion dollars that was raised for Haiti through Red Cross and they found four houses had been built out of $500 million dollars US that have been raised in that space and I'm sure they'll say oh that's the US Red Cross that's not us but it speaks to the inconsistency in in delivery and and the attitude of that place and they've got you know every organization like that you know they've got 
challenges. If that, if it was brilliant, then it would have done a brilliant job in in uh, Black Saturday aftermath and things like that. And this process has happened over and over again. Happens after the tsunami. Happens after um, happens after the hurricanes. Happens after bushfires. And if you have a long enough memory, you'll remember that we were throwing out container loads of secondhand clothes out of Marysville and people were going, hang on, where's all this help going? And people were wondering where the resources are and people are losing their homes and not getting assistance because it's largely unaccountable. So I don't have a problem with people wanting to contribute, but generally speaking, you need patience and people will have this great outpouring in the middle of the fires, which is not the time to be trying to jump in and do stuff. There's, we're going to have multiple years of development that's going to need to happen now. And that's when there's going to be chances to help, put your hand up, you know, in a place and, and allow it to be coordinated instead of trying to do it all yourself all the time. Now, when um, before we started this interview, we had a chat and you mentioned that, you know, with the fires and with the um, fundraising efforts, it made you angry. You know, you had to take some time before you could actually <laughs> come to... Told you, know, you that in confidence. Oh, but yeah, sorry. That, <laughs> no, I was, no, no I was. No, but it did. It, it yep. struck because, again, it's someone like you who knows what goes on on the other side. So, you know, initially, so now what is the way forward? It's very frustrating because people uh, equate uh, successful fundraising is is the end goal and i get approached by people all the time with brilliant ideas for fundraising you know this is their great contribution we're going to add a transaction to a thing that we do um, we've got this great idea which is largely uh, and not to disrespect anybody that's brought me these ideas but i've heard almost all of them before at this point in time and this is their great contributions this fundraising thing and we're going to just either let lay people decide where the money goes as in you decide the charity you want to do blah with or we're going to give it somewhere and Fundraising uh, as a, and, and the size of your fundraising as a measure of impact is terrible, maybe the worst, because it's completely separate from the measuring the outcomes for people that need help. So when I look at those things, people are patting themselves on the back for a wonderful fundraising effort. I would rather see people patting themselves on the back in five years' time for having successfully redeveloped communities, kept them economically, you know, kept them um, with economic opportunity flowing in, kept the kids in school, kept the farmers, you know, on their feet, and made sure that people are all right. And then in five years, we give ourselves a pat on the back for incredible execution of assistance in those communities. Instead, we won't hear anything about it in about three months' time and everyone will have patted themselves on the back because the cheque that we handed over was a big one and oh, we, we, we did this great fundraising effort and they're completely unrelated. You can do a really good job of fundraising, point you to the Shane Warren Foundation you know, in that, in that space and literally deliver no real impact and, and no comprehensive impact for people that need help. So for me, that's the huge frustration all this encouragement about great fundraising, all these backpats, all this lauding of people who literally are just posting stuff um, and then the people who are left doing the work are the ones who who miss out and a couple of big name, well-branded organisations probably you know, sweep the field in this space and they will have acquired a lot of resources, a couple of small ones that have you know, managed to be in the front of the zeitgeist in that case and I think we spoke about you know, a koala hospital raising millions of dollars. And then when when I read the report, they said that helped 30 koalas. And I was like, this is just, it's just got nothing to do with need or, you know, rationality. It's just entirely emotive. It's totally irrational and it's totally short term. 
Well, going back to the koalas, I remember, you know, they were the images that mm. really got you, the poor burnt koalas and things like that. Yep. So, yeah, also when you looked at what you're actually giving your money to, it was what one small koala hospital, you know, that needed it. But maybe, again, there was that outpouring that you just Yeah, there was something, I think Wires is the New South Wales um, wildlife fundraiser. And for whatever reason, that ended up front, front of mind. And then I saw after a little bit of that, there was like, oh, guys, that's only for New South Wales. So give some money to the Victorian animals. And then you start to see, oh, no, there's also livestock that need help. And it just, it's like, this is all well-meaning people, but who have no idea. Um, it'd be like trying to fund a, a hospital entirely based on which disease or which thing or which part of the hospital, you know, had the best marketing campaign or had a celebrity wearing that T-shirt. And we might end up with, you know, $50 billion for pediatrics and not a single dollar for anything else, which in the end would make a pretty rubbish hospital. So this is really going back again to, you know, that 101 that you talk about in fundraising. It's mm-hmm. again, who has the best brand, who has the best cut through, who has the biggest voice on yep. social media. So nothing's really changed. No, no, this, and this, this sort of stuff really proves that. But my issue with it is that there's just absolutely no, no productive reflection and, uh, and no rational... Uh, way of, of evaluating it for the general public people have really poor tools and that benefits the Red Cross for people to have no idea raising money for quote unquote the bushfires is the greatest marketing scam of all time because some people think they're raising money to pay volunteers which they're not some people think they're raising money to support farmers which they're not some people think they're raising money to rebuild houses which they're not um, and you know oh communities it's going into the communities, but I mean, that's even vague on its own. No one said, this is what we're in here to do and we're in here until this outcome is met. And what will happen is the fires will go through, we'll have our bushfire season, then the local areas will re reevaluate their regulations about how to rebuild there because this is what happens. I want to make them a bit more fireproof and all this kind of stuff. The insurance companies will go in, they'll assess and work out what they're paying, then there will be gaps and that might be 24 months down the track by the time that's all sorted out. Then there will be gaps. In that whole time, obviously, we want stuff to continue to happen in those communities. We want them to be looked after. And there isn't an organisation that sort of says, yeah, we'll take care of that. And that's, again, why the government mandates are better um, because they're a little bit more accountable. And, and, and the scale of help from the federal government fund is $2 billion, which means your little $50,000, which is a significant donation for an organisation, uh, is just pales in significance to... Uh, a $2 billion and fund. And through that time, we could have fundraising fatigue too. Because oh, 100%. we've all given it now. Yeah, absolutely. And then I've seen afterwards other organisations like that do other kinds of charitable work or whatever, complaining that they're missing out because of this sort of thing as well. And this constant battle about which cause is more important for me is one of the things that obviously really drives this fatigue. What is the most important cause? Impossible to say. What are the outcomes that we want for everyone? I think they're largely fairly universal. We want them to be housed. We want them to be employed. We want them to have economic opportunity. We want them to be safe. I mean, if we just guaranteed that, we can wipe out all these people saying that this cause or this cause or this thing or this thing and just say, listen, at this point in time, we've got a, a bunch of extra, for want of a better term, customers that are going to need help and assistance becoming housed, having that economic opportunity and having good mental health all right, we'll scale up and we'll, and we'll deliver that. And there aren't organisations outside of the JBM project that do that. So, I mean, 
that's really frustrating for me. Mm, so that's, it's that uh, you've got the money. I mean, if you looked at this in a business sense, and let's go back, we, we've talked about Red Cross and how their crisis, not into recovery, mm-hmm. and yet they've got so much money and when they were questioned about why they've released so little of it, they said it's for the long term. But put that in the business scenario and you'd really have to be a bit more um, transparent yep. about how that business plan was going to work. This is something where we start to get into the into the weeds a little bit about stuff that I, I don't expect regular people or lay people to understand. But the risk profile of, of non-profits in particular is something that's generally established by the board of non-executive directors. So they decide whether um, in an organisation that maybe has a budget of, let's say, $50 million a year, um, that it's important to them that we put 10 aside every year until we have three or four years of budget put aside, we might be sitting on $200 million at that point in time in various investments, or whether we're an organisation that spends $49.5 million of every year and we get out and we try and and re-raise that $50 million every year and what we spend it on, those sorts of things. So those directions are established by the board of directors, generally speaking, and then given to the the executive to, to execute. So because if you read the Red Cross it's, it's not the bushfire only fund, it's the disaster relief fund. So the disaster relief, disasters are the floods, they are hurricanes, they are cyclones, they are bushfires. I mean, I guess it would be earthquakes, but I don't think we have too many of them here. This, the thing that is, is insane to me is that all of these places are technically doing what they say they're going to do, but they're disingenuous in how they maybe allow things to just kick on and raise money in that space. They say we're here to provide short-term accommodation, a little bit of relief, training and administrative costs. It's all said in like four points about where this money goes. Well, no mention about the, the distribution of that. They could literally spend $45 million on administration and they'd be totally within their rights to do so. They're totally allowed to do that. You have no avenue to recourse for that situation. Whereas if, let's say we raised $100 million for the state government fund and they said, yeah, we donated $3 million, you could you could bang on the door at Spring Street and say, guys, this is unacceptable. And they are answerable, at least in part, to the public that donated to that fund. So with the Just Be Nice project, JBN, how would you, like, where do you start? How do you tackle something like this? So we'd start by holding up for a minute not going crazy while the fires are still going. Pretty hard to walk right into the middle of all of it and um, and know what to do when you know it's still in play. We're still not sure. What we would do is is lean into all of the available existing infrastructure that would help. So we would be looking at local government services. We're looking at insurance. We're looking at the gaps that are left. We'd be looking at what's available from the federal and state government funds and relief opportunities that they provide. And then we would look at gaps and we would look at, at opportunities in those long-term development outcomes for those communities. So there would be gaps. There always is. Um, individual communities are going to have different kinds of gaps. If you live in a community where everyone was evacuated and no homes were lost, there's a different kind of assistance that's required to a place where say 100 homes were burnt through and they now literally don't have homes. So there is a nuance in there that is too complicated to get across maybe in an Instagram post or a soundbite, but being evacuated and going back home is much different to being evacuated and losing your home, to not being evacuated and maybe someone losing their life, to losing your place of business and your home or just your place of business or just your home, to what, what reliance your, um, your perhaps local economy has on people coming to visit. All of those things 
impact differently and they require different kinds of intervention. So really the, the, the uh, difference for us is that we would go through and, and kind of systematically or probably by municipality predominantly, you go through and you start to work out where those gaps are and start to fill them. Now, there might be a few people that need some more clothes because they've lost their home, but largely most people will go back to their wardrobes as is, wash the smoke out of them and they'll be good. Let's hope though that, uh, you know, that I, I did learn from you, Josh, that uh, you know, you've lost your home and all that. The last thing probably you need is someone's uh, leftovers and clothes they don't want. I mean, it'd be nice to have some new clothes. Oh them. my goodness, 17 pairs of, of used pants because you've been in a bushfire <laughs> zone i mean when you've got a little grab bag with clothes in it already yeah that's i mean that's testament to people sort of saying um every little bit helps it doesn't every little bit does not help um during the marysville fire i was actually working with the um commission after that we i was doing um construction work at the time and i remember we just, people coordinating literally container loads of crap to just go to the tip which took up time, resources, space. It was a nightmare, money, because you know some, you know, oh, every little bit helps, mate. By the time you got seven hundred hoodies, they absolutely do not help. <laughs> you know, the glass is full. If you just keep filling it up, you just make a mess. You're not helping anybody. But that is really difficult to get across in a in a culture where people want to tell everyone what they've been doing, as opposed to make sure people who need help get good help. Another point, again, from our discussion, I listen, um, listen that, I, I that I take no, home, I is that um, because, you know, I subscribe to this, I think, well, I'd much rather give my services than, you know, something that I'm not good at. So, for example, you've got an accountant, instead of going down and serving at the soup kitchen or sweeping floors mm-hmm. you know, as charity, it's better that he actually gives or she gives her services. Yep. So, in this way, if I wanted to do that, what do I do? Yeah. If, yeah. There's a couple of additional caveats to that sort of situation that I think get lost sometimes. And again, it's just because it's a little bit more complicated than people are used to hearing. But using your skills is really important. But there's two critical elements to that being effective in using your skills. One is that someone needs to take responsibility for an outcome. Someone needs to be taking responsibility for outcome X. Let's say in these communities, it's that people are housed, employed and have good mental health. I'll use our outcomes because I know them and I think they're the best. And so we've got someone's got to take responsibility for that. Well, I'd question it if they weren't. Yeah, that's right. Also, there's better ones, but we just went with an easy one. No. So then the next thing is coordination. So someone needs to coordinate. And I think collaboration gets tossed around a lot as a, as a positive thing, but collaboration can be very wasteful as well. If I was to say we need um, a suburb, let's say this street, we're in a lovely street in Paran at the moment, let's say this street needed painting. And we kind of universally agreed that it was a bit of an eyesore and a bit all over the shop and it needs painting. So we get a lot of lay people trying to paint and then we get some professional painters painting. Let's say there's 50 people and they just do their own thing. And we come back in 18 months time, like it still looks like a mess because just everyone just did what they felt like doing when they felt like doing it. So we go, that sucks. And that's the general state of people trying to help. Everyone doing all their own little bit of things. Some people are actually skilled and some people aren't. Some people are double painting the same wall and some people are just doing whatever. And it looks like a mess at the end because it's a mess. Then we go, all right, well, what if people collaborated and two or three painters work together and they do one thing and then someone paints a bit over their thing and does something else and there's still lay people everywhere and it's a nightmare. So you need someone to say, hang on, this is the plan. This is what it's going to look like. 
we'll coordinate everybody in. We're going to start at the east end of the street. We're going to work to the west. I'm going to get everybody in as they need to come in. Painters are much better than non-painters, so we're just going to get those because they're quicker, they're more efficient, they do a better job. And we want a really good outcome in the paint. We don't just want a crappy layperson job. So with someone taking responsibility and coordinating it, someone, one painter is going to help on day one. And then it's going to take, let's say, six months. One, another lot of painters is going to be helping in six months, which means they're going to have to hold their horses because the outcome is the painted street, not you getting in right away and quickly taking an Instagram photo about how wonderful you are and telling everybody how great you are that you, you tried to paint a thing. And then at the end of that, we can look back and say, cool, job's done. So the only place on the planet that even attempts to do this is the Just Be Nice project because we go, all right, tell us what, what you're about, tell us what, what you're doing. And then we will help coordinate that into an outcome and it might be day one and it might be day 1,255 depending on what you're good at and depending on where you slot in. And if you just said that's too long, I'm going to work out with someone else what we can do together, you'll still just make a mess of the whole thing. As we work our way down the street, you might overdo it, you might get in front, we might run over the top of it and it's a waste. It's a waste of time. You got your chance to do something you know, when you wanted to but the outcome was rubbish. So that's uh, all I can say in that space because there is nowhere else that does that. To take responsibility and be coordinated, you have to go, you have to come to Just Be Nice. The other, alternatively, you can, you can get in touch with like say local councils and stuff, but the local councils aren't set up for that and a thousand people trying to walk into your workplace and say, oh, I want to help, there's nothing for them to do except lowest common denominator rubbish stuff. So again, that is often an administrative burden that those places can't handle. I'd suggest that this would be a really good time to actually get in touch with Just Be Nice because it is on people's minds. Yep. You know, what, what can I do? Yep. You know, and it's sort of, uh, be nice, you know, while we're, it's top of mind now to actually go and check it out. Totally, yeah. Well, Josh, I'm not going to ask you what uh, your projects, other projects you've been working on because I think we're going to get enough uh, mm-hmm. uh, comment on today's uh discussion and uh, would you come back again and let's uh let's do a follow-on and more than welcome i'm sure to people making comment on uh viral fundraising yeah totally look and i mean i'd like to sort of wrap up by saying like i know that people's intentions are good Mm. but you know the road to hell as well is paved with good intentions and (laughs) you know there's there's if we can change the focus from whether or not someone made an attempt and we raised some money to whether or not people are okay and understand that, yeah, that's probably going to be a little while before we start getting those back pats, then hopefully that take – virality is all about the now instant boom thing. As soon as you change that focus, it almost wipes out the need and, and efficacy of a viral fundraising campaign anyway. So that's the change I would, I would hope people make. I want you to have long memories and pay attention in four years' time whether these areas that have been smashed by the bushfires are doing okay. And if they're not, put your hand up again then and you know, hopefully we'll be able to harness your goodwill and – Make sure everyone's all right. Josh Jones, thank you. Thank you very much.